Well, let me ask you something. Did you get everything that you wanted for Christmas? That's the question that one of the apps on my phone asked me yesterday on the 26th of December. Did you get everything you wanted for Christmas, Kyle? And then it promptly followed that up with a suggestion. Why not buy yourself your own favorite present to make your Christmas the best ever? You know, uh, companies, advertisers, they play on this fact that they know that Christmas can be dissatisfying when it comes to the end of it. There was actually a company in the UK called uh, Quick Fit. Quick Fit is like a Jiffy Lube. It's one of these um, it's one of these places where you go in and they quickly change your tires, they do your car for you, all that kind of thing. And they were interested in playing on people's dissatisfaction at Christmas. And so they took a survey across the UK and they surveyed thousands of people. And what they found is that after Christmas, there is a heightened sense of disappointment, stress, loneliness, dissatisfaction. Some of you experience that at two o'clock on Christmas Day. And if you have not experienced that yet, guess what? There's still time. Because they said that the NADAR, the lowest point is actually one day from now. The 28th of December at two o'clock, people are the most dissatisfied with the Christmas letdown. The Christmas letdown. Have you experienced it? It's what Ralphie experienced in not the Christmas story, but a Christmas story. Have you seen this movie? I have no idea, but growing up on TBS, a Christmas story was playing over and over again. Ralphie is a little boy. Uh, it's set in the 40s, and all he wants for Christmas is a BB gun. And not just any BB gun. He wants the official Red Rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle. And he is convincing his parents and Santa Claus that this would be the perfect gift for him. Well, you may have seen the scene or remember it if you have seen the movie. He is Ralphie, little Ralphie has opened up all his presents. If you're wondering what little Ralphie looks like, just picture me as a kid. It, little Ralphie has opened all his presents, and the dad looks at him. His dad looks at him, and he says, uh, did you have a nice Christmas? And he, Ralphie, you can just see him fighting back the disappointment. He says, um, it was pretty good. Did you get everything you wanted? Almost everything. Now, of course, his dad has the present hidden in the corner. But most of us know that feeling because we don't have that present hidden in the corner. We know the Christmas letdown. You know, we love Christmas. A lot of people love Christmas. People who aren't Christians, they love Christmas and they love this story even. I mean, especially if we focus on verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the end. And there's something about it, about, about the swaddling clothes and the petting zoo and, you know, this woman who's just given birth and she's holding her baby in her arms and all the animals are coming up and they're just nuzzling him with their noses. And we, we hear that and we, 
We just get the warm fuzzies, you know? It's, it's, it's a sense of, of, of warm sentimentality that it brings. But I wonder if it gave you the warm fuzzies this year. I wonder if it brought them this year. To date, 1.76 million people are said to have died from COVID. Now, in the US, it's actually 280,000. Now, even if you think those numbers are exaggerated and you think that people aren't calculating them correctly, the reality is that the mortality rate this year has outpaced the last two years by 10%. You say, well, what about population growth? Population growth in the U.S. is somewhere close to 1%, and that takes population growth into account. And so however you calculate it, the reality is, is that these numbers, that 10% is somehow related to the havoc, directly or indirectly, that this virus has, has plagued our society with. And that's just this year. That's not even to think about the long-term effects that we don't even know about. What's this going to do to our economy long-term? What, what, what's this, what, what is the impact of, of a generation of having at least a year, if not more, of their education being depleted? What's, what's going to happen with the social impact of the trauma, the mental trauma, and, frankly, survival habits that have been formed? What's the long-term impact going to be? You see, if we, if most people, most of the time, experience the Christmas letdown, I think that this year we experience it especially acutely. I know my friends did. At 6.30 in the morning on Christmas Day when their house is shook in East Nashville because a bomb went off, two miles away. You know, it's, it's understandable that if even the most sentimental among us are not, are not moved this year by a story of a cute baby and a petting zoo, if gingerbread lattes and Bing Crosby isn't doing it for you, I mean, how can a manger and a sweet story compete with the influence and power of a pandemic that is reigning over us? You know, I think Mary and Joseph could have asked a very similar question. I mean, think of Mary and Joseph. Think about where they are. Well, they are having a child in a stable or a side room where the animals are kept in the midst of animals. And why are they in a side room with the midst in the midst of animals? 
Lucas verse 7 says that there was no rooms for them in Bethlehem. And why are there no rooms in Bethlehem? Because the city is flooded with travelers. And why is the city flooded with travelers? The city is flooded with travelers because verses 4 and 5 tell us that the governor, Cornelius, forced everyone to return to their ancestral city to be registered. And why did the governor, Cornelius, force everyone to go back to their ancestral city to be registered? Because, verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the emperor. A decree that all the world should be registered. You see, Caesar was the most powerful person in the whole world. And his power was so strong and his influence so great that he could make the entire world move like that. And every person in it, including a poor carpenter. And his pregnant fiance. See, it doesn't matter if it's COVID or Caesar, a pandemic or politics, disease or a dictator. It is the same then as it is now. Life is always and everywhere vulnerable. Our lives are always and everywhere vulnerable, vulnerable to forces that are greater than us and beyond our control, forces like cancer and market crashes. And we are under their sway. And so you are justified, I think. I think you are justified if you are having a hard time finding solace in Bing Crosby and gingerbread lattes this year or in swaddling clothes and petting zoos. And yet the angel says in verse 10 that this is good news, that this baby born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, that it's good news. But it doesn't really sound like good news when Caesar's still on the throne or a pandemic is still reigning. I mean, at least it doesn't sound like news good enough to make any real difference in our lives. But maybe we've missed something. I wonder if you've missed something. I mean, think about the scene that happens next or think about the scene where this good news is announced. In verses eight and nine, it says that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory shone around him. Now, I wonder how you picture the scene. Maybe a slender, calmly figure, kind of slight and pale, an ambient glow around, whispering to the shepherds. Or maybe you picture many of these figures. Maybe you picture a choir of them. I mean, it does go on to say in verses 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I wonder how you picture it. Maybe you think of King's, King's Choir College, our King's College Choir in Cambridge. And, and, and a bunch of angelic voices 
and an ambient warm glow around them. But I wonder if that's how we're supposed to picture it. I mean, the shepherds, they're filled with great fear. I've never looked at King's College Choir and been filled with great fear. And ambient glows have never filled me with great fear. They've actually kind of given me the warm fuzzies, and I'm not a sentimental type. So maybe we've missed something. I mean, what if we went back in the scriptures and we thought about other places where the angel of the Lord appears and a host of heaven suddenly appears? What if we went back to a place like, I don't know, 2 Kings 6? And that little story that's tucked away there where Elisha is a prophet of God and he is on the run because the king of Syria is out for his blood. And he goes into a little city called Dothan. And he's there with Dothan with his servant. And little do they know that the next morning when they wake up, the servant opens the curtain and, and, and he looks outside and he looks out in the city. And the king of Syria over the night had sent his armies there. And he looks out the servant of Elisha and he sees these great armies surrounding him. And as he is there, he thinks, we're done for. Oh no, what is going to happen to us? And, and he, he says to Elisha, alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha, he prays for him. He prays for his servant. He prays that his eyes would be opened, that the veil would be pulled back, and that he would see, quote, that those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And the veil was pulled back. All of a sudden, what appeared to that servant were hills around Dothan that were ablaze. And on those hills was an innumerable multitude of fiery figures, angelic warriors in their fiery chariots. And they surrounded the city. That, I would suggest to you, that is who the angel of the Lord is leading. That is what we have here. That is what the shepherds saw. And the angel of the Lord, who is he? Well, he's the spy who gave orders to Moses to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he's also the one who defeated Pharaoh's armies. The angel of the Lord, he is the one who, who was going to assassinate Balaam if he worked for the princes of Moab. The angel of the Lord is the one who led the children of Israel into Canaan to defeat the Canaanites. And he is the one who prepared judges to deliver Israel from their oppressors. This is not a choir conductor, but a celestial commander. This is, and he is commanding not King's College Choir, but Heaven's Green Beret. And what are they singing? It is not a lullaby. It is a battle cry. I wonder if any of you are rugby fans. I got to watch a little rugby when I was in the UK. And uh, the team that was by far and away, head and shoulders, bigger, stronger, more fierce than any other rugby team out there, was New Zealand, the All Blacks. And they were so intimidating that just looking at them scared me. But, but 
These guys, I mean, they look like they were American football players with their pads on, and they didn't have any pads on. But before the game, the All Blacks would do this dance and chant. The dance and chant is called a haka. It actually uh, hails back to, uh, it was first performed by island warriors in preparation for battle in that region. And when, when the All Blacks do the haka, and the other team has to sit there and watch them. I need to excuse myself because I am so scared. I would have forfeited the game at that point just having to watch these guys do the haka. If you want to know what the song of the angels sounded like, I suggest that you would YouTube search a New Zealand haka rather than the King's College Choir. Because what they are giving us is a battle cry. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. That's what it sounded like. This is a declaration of war on all that detracts or tries to demote God's glory. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth is the confident and resolute outcome of this battle cry, of this victory. And that's why this is good news. It's good news because the babe who was born in Bethlehem is marshalling these heavenly hosts to fight to undo all that threatens to undo us. Verses 10 and 11, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And isn't that what we need for Christmas? Isn't that what we need this Christmas? Not sentimentality, but a heavenly siege. Not a sweet story, but a sovereign savior. See, I would suggest to you that if we, if we look beneath the sentimentality, we will find something, someone that will overcome our cynicism. One who controls pandemics and commands Caesars. See, because before... There was Luke 2.1, there was Micah 5.2. From Bethlehem would come one who is from of old. Before Caesar's decree, God had a decree, had a decree that his Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And so while we look and we think that Caesar is the most dominant power in the whole universe, what this story tells us is that guess what? Dominant powers are not ultimate powers. And they will not last forever. Empires fall. Tyrants die. Systems fade. But the babe born in Bethlehem remains. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. He is marshalling the innumerable, the millions of ancient heavenly warriors, armies of them, to fight. For who? 
For whom? Well, verse 14 tells us, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And with whom is he pleased? Well, I want you to consider who gets the announcement. Where is peace proclaimed? It's not, it's not in the imperial halls of Rome. It's not even in the governor of Judea's house. No, it's the blue-collar shepherds out in a field. It's to a carpenter who is so powerless that he can't even provide a room for his beloved to birth her baby in. It's for a teenage girl who is vulnerable to the whims of everything else in that society. In other words, it's peace for the powerless, for those who know that they're out of control, that they can't control themselves, and that they need the armies of heaven. They need a savior. Is that you? Because if it is, then this savior comes and he marshals all the hosts of heaven to fight for you and to deliver you from all that threatens to undo you. And what is it that threatens to undo you? Well, I'm going to hazard a guess that it's not what we often think that it is. I mean, if I, as I took an honest look at my life this week and I had to ask what disrupts my peace, the reality is, is while I want to say it's pandemics and while I want to say it's politicians, the truth of the matter is, is on a day-to-day -day basis, an hour-to-hour -hour basis, that is not what disrupts my peace. And it's probably what, not what disrupts yours either. See, I bet what disrupts your peace is probably things like anxiety. The anxiety that is caused from contemplating failure or rejection or meaninglessness. The anxiety that stems from a lack of productivity or social tension in relationships. Or, or maybe, I bet, the thing that that assaults you on a day in and day out, hour in and hour out basis or the self-destructive habits that prevent us from loving as we would want to love and flourishing as we would want to flourish. It's when we can't put our controllers or our computers down. It's when we have thrown up for the fifth or the 15th time this week or when we've gone behind locked doors and snuck away for the 5th to 15th time this week. I bet the things that really plague you, the things that plague me, are the shame that we battle and that sense of worthlessness, that we are not worth it, and so why don't we just live like we are? The giving up things that affect you and affect me on a day in and day out basis are the rash emotions that cause us to 
blow up at loved ones, to use subtle forms of manipulation and control because we feel powerless, or it's the unwanted desires and the misdirected love. And yes, it's fear. Fear of death. It's not the pandemic itself, it's the things that the pandemic brings about. It's our responses to the pandemic. That's what really enslaves us. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ, the babe born in Bethlehem, marshals all the fiery host of heaven and every power at his disposal to fight for you, to fight for your peace, to carry your shame off, to carry it off of the cross, to, to defeat your sin, to transform your self-destructive habits, to cause within you a love for God and a love for neighbor, uh, to, to feel as he would feel, and to crush every form of injustice. See, this story shows us that the dominant powers are not ultimate powers. Sin will surrender. Death will die. And corruption will be conquered forever. But the babe born in Bethlehem remains. And in his name, all oppression, all oppression shall cease. And that's peace for those who believe it. Have you ever just gone overboard? You know, I, I would go to my grandmother's house on holidays like this, and you probably had a grandmother like this as well. I'd get to her house, and it was just sometimes me and them eating, and sometimes they had already eaten. But the table was full of food. And I mean every type of food you can imagine. It's like the bacon was cooked, the biscuits were there, the chocolate gravy, the other kind of fatty, greasy, awesome gravy. The, the you know, they had cornbread, the pickles, like everything was just spread out. And I was like, you know, Mima, that's what I called her. Mima, it's just me, you know? You went a little overboard, didn't you? And I can't eat all this. And why did she go up? And she went through not only her refrigerator, but they, you know, this was like old school. They had one of those big, deep freezers. You know what I'm talking about? And the big, deep freezer. And they, I mean, they had a garden in their yard. And it was huge. And they, they filled that thing with all their fresh produce. And she'd bring out the okra on oh and fried. And it's not in the South. It's not okra. It's okri. Fried okra. Mm. And she'd bring it all out. Why would she scour the fridge? And the deep freezer, just for me. And like, I couldn't eat all this stuff. Why would she go overboard? Why would she marshal everything? Because she loved me. Because she couldn't help it. Why does Jesus marshal everything at his disposal? 
to fight for you and to deliver you from everything that threatens to undo you. Because he loves you. He loves you. And that's the news we need. This Christmas and every Christmas. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.